0: And welcome to the Wide VA Dayton Podcast coming to you from Dayton, Ohio. This is the show where we talk to veterans in the Central Ohio region to share their stories and share what's happening at the Dayton VA Medical Center. I'm Scott Leese with your host, Greg Tucker, and we are from the Dayton VA Public Affairs Office and so excited to be here today. This is our inaugural podcast, uh, it's the very first one ever, and we are thrilled to start with what we think and hope is going to be a very informative, entertaining podcast series. So since this is our first podcast, we thought we might take a few moments to introduce ourselves as hosts. I... Scott Lee, I'm an Air Force veteran. I was actually in the Air National Guard before I went active duty in Peoria, Illinois. And I uh, went active duty from there. I enjoyed the Guard so much. I said, you know what, I'm going to make this a career. Went active duty in the Air Force and uh, retired after 20 years. I was stationed at Edwards Air Force Base, Howard Air Base, Scott Air Force Base, the Pentagon, Osan. Back to Scott. Spent some time in Bahrain and several other TDYs as public affairs people normally do we get to go to a lot of different places did a lot of media escort and civic leader tours and then retired before I went to work for Chambers of Commerce uh, and then came to the Dayton VA and so so thrilled to be a part of this wonderful organization. And so,
1: Greg, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, unlike you, Scott, I did not go to the Air Force or <laughs> I did not retire from the military. I am a Navy veteran. How I started out, just getting out of high school, I was one of those restless young men who <laughs> were looking for a venture. And just so happens the Navy recruiter were looking for someone just like myself. And he told me that, hey, I got something just for you, especially just for you. It's not just the job, it's an adventure. So I spent four years in two, four years active duty, two years reserve. And during that four year period, it was like a lifetime. It took me around the world
0: twice. That's not a good recruiting message. It was a (laughs) lifetime spent in four years. <laughs> well, <laughs> But you got at, to see a lot.
1: At it, the time, you know, time flies when you're having fun. And yeah. that was one of those things. I chose at that particular time that, okay, at the end of that last tour, it's time to get off the boat and try uh, something else. Upon uh, leaving the military, I did come back to my hometown. And there I utilized the benefits that were available or afforded. As far as from my service, went to broadcasting school. And during that time, I continued my service by working with nonprofit organizations. During that time of working with a nonprofit, assist homeless veterans, find employment and housing, uh, I worked closely with the VA, Voc Rehab, and found out the things that they were doing. And with that, that was my pivot, my transition, I said, hey, um, let me continue my service with the VA. And from that that point on, I've started from the basement and I worked my way up to several floors. So the adventure continues. All right,
0: fantastic. Well, we're glad to have you on board with us and as our co-host for this podcast series. Uh, you know, it's it's January in Ohio. It is cold out there. I think the uh, forecast is going to be 11 degrees tonight. I'm not quite ready for that, but uh, I'm thrilled to be inside. I'm glad I'm really glad to have an inside job right now. Uh, so it's good to be in a nice, warm podcast studio. And more more to the point, we're really thrilled to be in here because we have today with us uh, a veteran from the Dayton area, Cassie Barlow, who is president of the Strategic Ohio Council for Higher Education, also known as Sochi. Welcome.
2: Thank you. It's fantastic to be here with you today. Yes.
0: she is an Air Force veteran, and uh, was at one time the eighty-eight Air Wing Base Commander. I didn't get that right, did I? Air Base Wing right. Commander uh, at Wright Pat Air Base, and uh, and she has held numerous distinctive positions. Uh, she received the uh, received her Doctor of Philosophy at Rice State, or Rice State University.
2: Just Rice. Rice University. Rice University,
0: and also an alumnus of Air Command and Staff College and National Defense University of the Armed Forces. Welcome, Cassie. We are so glad to have you as our very first guest for our podcast series. Thank you. It's exciting to be here. Yeah. Well, before we get to know a little bit more about you, we're going to put you to the test. Oh, no. Yes. That's right. It's time to play Don't Tell Me, I Think I Know That, uh, the game where we put our guests to the test of their knowledge of military trivia, a game where listeners can play along to see if their minds are mired uh, in mounds of military minutiae, as ours are. Uh, so are you ready to take this challenge, Cassie?
2: I certainly hope so. Okay. <laughs>
0: All right, well, here we go. Here is your first question. What World War II general became the first commanding general of the Army Air Forces? Was it Happy Gilmore, Hap Arnold, Arnold Palmer, or
2: all the above? It was definitely Hap Arnold.
0: That's right. Excellent. Well, five-star General Hap H. Arnold was a pioneer airman who was uh, taught to fly by, believe it or not, the Wright brothers. I don't know how many people in the Dayton area uh, know that. Dayton is well known for the Wright brothers themselves. Uh, But uh, Hap actually learned to uh, fly from the Wright brothers um, and uh, was commander of the Army Air Forces in victory over Germany and Japan in World War II. Uh, He was called Hap, uh, dating back to his early days at West Point, because he Always wore a smile, and uh, I don't
2: know. If, did you know that? I did not know yes, that. Yes, that's how. That's good got, to know.
0: That's how he <laughs> got his nickname. Uh, and if you ever see pictures of me, he's always got a, a grin on his face. Uh, in fact, there were uh, stories of people who were called on the carpet, who couldn't quite tell General. Arnold was really not too happy with him because he was smiling at them, (laughs) uh, even though he was raking them over the coals at the time. Uh, But uh, so we're going to go on to your next question. Let's see Mm -hmm. how you do with this one. These get harder as they go along. Um, There is only one president who served as an enlisted man in the military and did not go on to become an officer. Was it Charlie Brown, James Brown, James Kennedy or James Buchanan? It was James
2: Buchanan.
0: Uh, Absolutely fantastic answer now here's your final question oh boy uh and okay this is not an air force question uh we're switching to the navy here oh boy uh this is this is more of greg's territory uh the navy bell-bottom trousers are commonly believed to be introduced in 1817 to permit to roll uh to permit men to roll them above the knee when washing down what would it be their feet their socks the mizzenmast or the decks The deck for sure. That's right. (laughs) You know your trivia. Excellent. (laughs)
1: That's good. A lot of people would not have known that. That's right. Do you know the (laughs) other use of those?
0: I bet I do. Would you say that they were lifesavers? Yeah. Yes, (laughs)
2: Yes, yes. <laughs> and how would they do that? How would they say? They apparently fill them with air. Yes. I'm not sure what they wear while they're filling their pants with air, <laughs> but we're not going to go there because this is a PG podcast.
0: That's right. That's right. <laughs> they would uh, take their shoes off and so that didn't weigh them down and then take the pants uh, and tie the pant legs And a knot and then fill them with air so they can actually become a life preserver Mm -hmm. if, in in fact, they were ever uh, put to the test. uh, Of course, as
2: a Navy vet, you knew (laughs) that.
0: Yes. Right. Did you actually ever have to do that? Did you have to practice that?
1: Well, they tell you about it. Oh, okay. Uh, We did not have to.
0: it to the test. Kind of like your life preservers (laughs) under your seat in in the advent of this aircraft going (laughs) in the water. You just hope it works. That's right. You You don't really want to know where it's at. You just want to know it's there. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so Greg, uh, Cassie
1: actually uh, got all three answers right. What did she win? Well... For getting all those answers correct you have won our industrial strength or industrial strength <laughs> chip clips
2: awesome now, you can
1: never have enough chip clips you can Sorry. never have enough now one thing i do have to warn you about with those chip clips and that is they are industrial strength so please do not put your finger in there because you might be minus a yeah. finger That's just, right. Or
2: I'd have to take a trip yeah. to the VA Medical Center That's right, um, exactly. And just like any good veteran You always share the safety aspects Of whatever we're talking about So thank you yeah. Not to be operated
0: by children <laughs> under 10 <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well thanks, uh, thanks for participating With that little trivia segment thank you. Cassie, and uh, we're going to take a quick break now
1: Hi, I'm Gary Sinise <laughs> Our veterans put, we may never be able to repay them For their sacrifice, but we can show them Just how much we appreciate all they've done Please visit www.volunteer.va.gov. And
0: we're back with Cassie Barlow, President of Sochi. Tell me, Cassie, I understand you come from a
2: large Italian family. I do. I do. How my, large? Uh, well, my my dad was one of eight. Uh, he was the youngest of eight, which meant that I had a lot of extra parents around through my for my entire life, and and realistically. Um, you know, Italian families are are very close, uh, and so we got together a lot and had a lot to share. And I have a, many, many cousins. I can't even tell you how many um, because they're they're still duplicating. So on, on any <laughs> on any one day, I'm not really sure. But um, I I look back very fondly on my my family and what we shared together and especially the older generation because they shared the stories of what they would call the old country right yeah. and oh. um, how they came together when they first came into the country and how they how that bond worked and how they all stood up and helped each other and um, it, it just was it just was fantastic to learn that over time and to be able to be part of that and now I have the great memories
0: um, and I'm guessing there's probably a lot of memories of Good food
2: every oh. time
0: around the table. Tutti a tavola, ammazzare.
2: Absolutely, absolutely, and to this day we share those old recipes amongst each other. And hey, do you have so and so's recipe? And do you have so? I mean, it's just um, you know, fantastic to carry on those um, you know those great recipes and those great memories. Uh, matter of fact, a few weeks ago I got a a nice little box in the mail, and inside the box were some special Italian cookies that uh, we used to share as a family when I was younger. So, to be able to get those in the mail at Christmas time just brought back a flood of memories.
0: And uh, so, you're Italian by descent, uh, but you've actually spent some time in Rome, right?
2: We uh, were lucky enough to get to. Be stationed overseas twice, uh, once in um, England for two years, and once in Stuttgart, Germany for two years. And um, while we were in Stuttgart, we well while we were in both places, we traveled all over Europe. And the, the funny story of being in Rome is that we, um, you know, there was a volcano overseas a few years ago, which shut off all air travel. During that time, we just happened to be on spring break with our daughter on a cruise in the Mediterranean. Oh. So we, you know, we were watching what was happening with this volcano. We were hearing about the all air travel being canceled. So we got back to Rome and we were desperately, that's where our ship docked. We so getting,
0: you didn't actually see a volcano erupting. It wasn't like Pompeii or no, anything. No,
2: no, no. Okay. We weren't we weren't like watching the volcano. Okay. We just were affected by the volcano. And the funny thing is we got off the ship and I'm texting everybody, you know, making sure they know that that we're okay, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody, everything's fine. Mm-hmm. We're stuck in Rome, but everything's fine. Oh, that's too bad. Okay. And that's exactly the message I got back from my family. No. Oh, that's too <laughs> bad. Stuck in Rome, really. No. But there's so many wonderful things to see in um, overseas. And what we learned that the one thing that we took back with us after that is that after seeing so much overseas, we have so many amazing places to see in our own country, and that we hadn't yet seen. So people from Germany and England were saying to us, "Hey, have you been to such and such? And have you been to this place and that place?" And and we were, uh, you know, embarrassingly saying, "No." We haven't been there. So we kind of looked at each other on on our way back and said, "Okay, we need to travel around our own country and check out some of these really cool places. So we have been embarking upon that. And, you know, our country's huge. So it takes a while to do that. But we um, we we learned about the values of our country while we were overseas.
0: And sometimes it takes that. Sometimes it takes yeah. a, a fresh look or somebody to, to remind you that hey, there's there's a whole yes. new world out there that you may not have explored. So absolutely. Yeah, but uh, you spent some time uh, in Georgetown, right?
2: I did. I um, I was was blessed to be to earn a uh, ROTC Air Force ROTC scholarship, and you know I grew up in a family where the thing I didn't tell you about my mom and dad is is that they were both teachers. So education was job one and incredibly important throughout our entire lives. So it was an expectation that we were going to go off to college. You know, we never talked about if, we talked about when and where. And we all knew that having parents that were teachers, we were going to have to find scholarships <laughs> in order to go off to college. So... That's what I did. I looked for a scholarship, found the Air Force ROTC scholarship, and uh, selected Georgetown. And it, it was a—I tell you—it was a huge culture shock for a kid from Buffalo. Uh, who grew up in a very homogeneous uh, environment, and going off to Georgetown and meeting all sorts of uh, diverse people, and I'll tell you that was a that was an eye opener for me that really helped me throughout my career. That you know it didn't matter where you were from or what you looked like, we were all going to sit around the table and solve a problem, and we we're going to do it together. And Georgetown's where that all started, and ROTC is where that all started because all of us in our ROTC were from different universities around. Uh, The DC area. We all went to one detachment and we all graduated together. So, you know, I have friends to this day from George Washington and from Howard and University of District Columbia and University of Maryland. Closer friends than I actually had from Georgetown. So, a fantastic experience and that was a a good stepping stone into my career in the Air Force. But I have a little intel that Uh tells me that when you were at Georgetown... You were known as
0: a thrower. Yes. What is a thrower?
2: Yes. Uh, So, um, one of the things that I was recruited for, I I was an ROTC, but I was also recruited as a division one athlete for track and field. So anything that you could throw in track and field, that's what I did. So my, you know, I threw the javelin and the discus and the hammer and the 20 pound weight and the shot put and, you know, was able to travel all around the country. Um, you know, throwing. And uh, that was a really good experience too, because it was totally different from ROTC and uh, a nice break from studies and from what we were doing in ROTC as well. And and just another way of branching out, meeting new people and um, getting to compete at that level was, was really amazing. So the
0: term thrower, I mean, that's that's not something you hear like at the Olympics, you know. Now up throwing is right. Uh, where does that come from?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I I would okay, love. Yeah, to, we
0: passed the trivia segment. Sorry, yeah, I'm starting again. Yeah, I would love to
2: <laughs> at, and be able to answer that question. I mean, I think you know, typically people are you know throw one thing or another. I <laughs> so you know, a javelinist or shot right, putter or. Right. But, you know, at at Georgetown, we had a pretty small team. It wasn't huge. So uh, when I got there, I was a discus thrower and a javelin. I mean, that's how I got there. You know, that's how I was recruited. And then when I got there, my coach said, okay, we're going to learn this and this and this and this. Next. Uh, Right. And I said, okay. (laughs) So um, I I got to learn a lot, a lot of new muscle memory.
0: Yeah. Well, you're a stealthy figure. (laughs) I assume that you're still active. uh in physical activities obviously uh so are you still throwing or, yeah, or, or or do you do something else now
2: yeah, I, I do don't do as much throwing, too much arthritis, but I, I am physically active. I think that's an important part of our lives and important part of our health. And so I'm a I'm a I'm a bike rider. And obviously this time of year it's inside. Yes. Inside. Yes. Where are you mm-hmm. riding? Inside. Yes, on my exercise bike. Ah,
1: okay. Yes. The cycle is what do they call it spinning.
2: Yes. <laughs> yes. And um, it's been good for me and um, you know, I'm a I'm a multitasker, so um, I get bored really easily while I'm uh, while I'm exercising. So being able to uh, ride a bike and read a book at the same time is crucial yeah. for me. And so be doing that inside obviously is is a lot safer than trying to do that while you're outside. So
0: you've been riding that stationary bike. Is yes. that a holdover from the Air Force days of the old uh, fitness test?
2: You yeah. know, it might be. It might be. I never did good on that test because my heart rate was too low. So I used to have to ride the bike for a few minutes before before the test even started, yeah. to be able to get my heart rate to the point where they could, that where I could actually pass the test, which is crazy because usually it's the other way around. Like you don't want your heart rate to go too high, but mine, I had a hard time getting it high enough to actually start the test.
0: Right, fantastic. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to take a quick break here, and when we come back, we'll learn more about Cassie's uh, career in the Air Force.
1: My name is Corporal Bradley Joseph Seitz. Jerry Reed, Kate Weber. These are real veterans facing a real challenge. I have PTSD. And I have PTSD. I have PTSD. Post-traumatic stress
0: disorder can happen to anyone.
2: I was still in a war zone in my mind.
0: But treatment can turn your life around. Treatment has really saved my life. To learn about PTSD and how treatment
2: can help you, Call your local VA medical center or visit ptsd.va.gov.
0: And we're back with Cassie Barlow, president of Sochi, and she uh, is the former commander uh, out at wright Pat. Tell us a little bit about that experience, Cassie.
2: Unbelievable experience. Just unbelievable. You know, as you're going through your career, you, you know, you're trying to do the best you can. Uh, You're trying to perform, you know, at the highest level to just, you know, see what's next and to kind of build upon previous experiences. So, you know, from very early, um, from my very early days in the Air Force. I remember, you know, you know, keep, you know, I got new opportunities to excel, we call them, as I moved through the ranks, you know. And, you know, never imagined as a youngster that I'd be sitting in a wing commander's chair. I mean, I just... Well, how did you start
0: out in the military?
2: So I started out in, um, funny enough, as a psychology major, in information management. And, I learned out very learned very quickly that that was not the field for me because I accidentally formatted somebody's computer with a whole <laughs> bunch of really important information oh, on no. it. Hey. Oh no! And they just kind of looked at me like, "Okay, get it back." And I was like, "I don't know how." That could be a sign. This could be, that, was, that was a huge sign, right? So luckily, I was able to switch and and yeah. become a behavioral Career scientist. Career transition. Oh, thank God. Thank thank God. <laughs> so luckily, the Air Force saw that too, and I became a behavioral scientist and. Um, went off to do really fun research and development. And then um, the Air Force sent me to, get to for a PhD in that time as well, which really put me down the pathway of development and workforce development for the next generation of, of Air Force members, which I absolutely loved. And it was a, definitely a passion for me something I'm still doing today I feel like every day of my career was about you know helping people meet their goals and and developing that next generation so uh, that's what led me I think to you know being a wing commander and the thing that I loved about it most was being able to interact with so many different people in so many different career fields and and um, you know showing that you care about people Uh, and showing that that you will help them get their job done. You know, those were, you know, those were my sort of my mantras. Uh, And I'll never forget the day that I walked into the entomology office on base. I walked in and they looked at me and they said, hey, you're our wing commander. And I said, (laughs) yes, I am. And they said, we've never had a wing commander in our office ever before. What are you doing here? And I said, well, I just came to visit. I want to see what you guys do. And they said, Really? You want to see what we do? And you guys literally that led to a few hours of look at this animal we caught and yeah. look at this cage and look what's over here and look what it was it was fantastic but they were probably happy to he-
0: see somebody come in that says i don't i want somebody to catch my mouse or something right, like that so right yeah.
2: so it was just fantastic and it was all about you know showing them hey you've got a, everybody on this base has an important job you know and it takes the entire base to you know and every single different specialty to operate that base mm-hmm. And they're they're a, a critical part of it. Um, absolutely. So anyway, it was about it was about taking care of people, you know, enabling them to do their job, you know, cheering them on. I just I just absolutely loved it that that two years. Uh, went very, very quickly, very quickly.
0: So did you, um, as a woman, find anything challenging as being a wing commander, uh, getting to that, attaining that rank and in that position and then being in that position as a woman?
2: Yeah, you know, throughout my career uh, early on, I remember uh, looking around the table and, and noticing, ooh, I'm, I'm the only one. I'm the only one here. And then I realized after a little while that that really wasn't very helpful. <laughs> Having that um, realization wasn't really helpful. It wasn't, it wasn't kind of getting me anywhere, and it was kind of a waste of time. And that I earned my place at the table by by showing what I could do and by taking care of airmen, and I was going to continue to do that. I was going to continue to earn my place at the table and then pull others to the table as well because I think that that job – is critically important for those of us who don't look like everybody else. So let's pull others that don't look like everybody else to the table to be able to have those same experiences and that opportunity to excel like we had. So you know, by the time I got to wing command, it it wasn't an issue. And I, I found actually throughout my time in the Air Force that I was welcomed to tables because of my willingness to jump in and solve problems. And it didn't matter didn't matter what I looked like, uh, didn't matter which chromosome I had. I was, I was there to, to do a job and help everybody else. And, you know, if that meant we needed to, to lift something up or to move something over, I mean, no matter what it was, I always felt like I was welcome at the table.
0: Right. Well, you know, you, you talk about your role of bringing people together, taking care of uh, folks, and, and you're still doing that even today as President, President Sochi that uh, you bring veterans uh, quite often uh, together, and help help them find answers to their problems, and and help them meet their needs. Tell us a little bit about what you do with Sochi and with the veterans in the region.
2: Absolutely, we have we have multiple roles with veterans, and um, you're right. It was just a natural extension of my time in the Air Force and my service. I found that that I loved to serve. I loved to serve others, and I loved to help others. So, you know, jumping out of the Air Force and jumping into helping veterans just seemed like a natural uh, transition. So, we do two primary things um, around veterans at Sochi. One is is we try to help student veterans. So, all of our twenty two members in Sochi. Have uh, veteran military centers Uh, some bigger than others uh, but it doesn't matter it doesn't matter how big they are the point is is that they are there to help the student veterans succeed uh, in a variety of different ways so what we do is we bring them together to share best practice and to help each other because some people have answers that others don't and they can always learn from each other So we do that regularly. The other thing that we do is we are the chairs of the Greater Miami Valley My Veteran Community, which is a community veteran engagement board um, using VA vernacular. And it is about bringing together any organization that wants to be at the table with the sole purpose of improving services to veterans so we have nonprofits we have for-profits we have uh, government governmental agencies both state government and federal government and county governments as well who all come together to do a plethora of different initiatives around veterans. How can we improve services to veterans?
0: Fantastic. Mm -hmm. Uh, Great. Did you have a question? Uh,
1: Yes. What are some of the challenges that you're finding uh, first with some of the younger veterans?
2: Yeah. So – Big challenges are, um, you know, jobs, you know, connecting veterans with jobs. So we work really hard to connect with the transitioning um, military members who are coming out of the military uh, to help connect them. And we want to be the place in Dayton, Ohio. We want to be the place where they're going to come. And we are starting to find veterans from all over the country who are reaching out to us and, and asking for our help, which is exactly what we want because we want them here. They have the skill sets that we need. Um, we also have an initiative called VetsLink. And through VetsLink, it's a United Way 211 line. And through VetsLink, we learn that um, some veterans are, are having issues with food. Food insecurity, and so that's something that we teamed up with the Dayton Food Bank, and we are helping to provide veterans the food they need through our community food bank. And we found that we needed to ease into that a little bit with veterans because veterans weren't necessarily comfortable going directly to the food bank. They wanted to go to a place where they were comfortable, which is the VA. So we started, you know, our partners uh, started with a food bank, as you as you both know at the at the VA and veterans came in droves. They came. And now we've transitioned them to the food bank and that operation is going really well. And veterans are getting the food that they need to survive. Uh and you know there's other things like through VetsLink that we're learning, you know, there's veterans sometimes that can't pay um, you know, their electric bill or their, you know, their heating bill. And so we're we're helping them connect. It's all about resources. That's what we've learned through this, this Community Veteran Engagement Board. It is all about connecting veterans with resources, we have so many fantastic resources out there, but they're not any good if people don't know about them.
0: Absolutely, that's
1: true.
2: So that's what we've been focusing on.
0: There, there is that image out there for veterans that they can't ask for help, that they have. They're coming from a culture uh, where they are to be independent, or or there's a pride uh, uh, that they cannot overcome. And it's amazing. Uh, a lot of people don't realize how many veterans are out there who are in need. I either need a food pantry or need other assistance. Uh, we have veterans now who are younger veterans uh, coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan who uh, need help, uh, that they're, they're too prideful to come and seek assistance for PTSD and other mm-hmm. issues they have. Uh, do you find that a challenge in what you're doing at Sochi? You
2: know, it's a little bit of a challenge specifically for um, student veterans you know, if you're struggling with PTSD and you need some accommodations, we've had veterans afraid, like you mentioned, to say anything. If if you need an accommodation to be able to um, be successful, please please say something. Please call the, the VetsLink 211 line. Please call the VA line and, and get the assistance you need because we want you to be successful. Not only want, we need you to be successful in our country. We absolutely need veterans to be successful. So that, that is definitely an issue for some veterans. Absolutely. <laughs> now,
1: I was on a call uh, at one of your community partners' meetings, mm-hmm. and one of the things that there was a young man, a uh, young veteran, on there, and he was meeting with
2: gamers. Uh, yes, absolutely. What, whatever um, you know, we have we have organizations that, um, you know, whatever the whatever the the thing is, the that you like to do, whether it's gaming, you know, for some it's gaming. For some, it's cooking,
0: and, and we're talking about video gaming, not Absolutely. gambling gaming, right? But.
2: Right? Right? right. No, no. <laughs> video gaming, right? So for some, it's cooking. For some, it's video gaming. You know, for some, it's music, and there's all sorts of great organizations out there. That I mean, there's a there's an organization in our in our region that helps with um, cooking classes, and it's all free. And it's you know, so there's things that veterans can jump into, to to help them through their ptsd i mean there's even equine therapy there's all sorts of great things out there and there's a lot of organizations that are helping veterans get uh, service dogs as well to help them so um it's just a matter of raising your hand or picking up the phone and and saying hey uh, i need a little bit of help and and before you know it you're you're going to get flooded with help so
0: if there is a veteran who needs help how do they contact you?
2: Well, the best way is through the uh, My Veteran Community, and they can go to our website at SOCHI and connect through the My Veteran Community. They can send an email to us, and we will get them the resources that they need. Is this modeled off of
1: a, a national program, or is this something that's being
2: modeled? Yeah, you know what? Uh, that's a great question. So I would argue that it's something that's being modeled. So we have built this from scratch. We started with going out to our community and talking with as many veterans as we could of all different ages to find out what, what do you need? What's missing? And over and over and over again, you know, from the 92 year old all the way down to the 20 something year old, all of them said, resources, we don't know where to go. We don't know where to go to get those resources. So vetslink came out of that the my veteran community came out of that. and our goal is just to connect them with whatever resource they need.
0: Well, that's great work and we really great, greatly appreciate all that you do. Uh, tell us though a little bit about what brought you to join the military What was your call?
2: Yeah so the the call um, I, I mentioned it a little bit earlier when I said that uh, my family was all about education. It was all about education and Education was so important, and I saw the military as an opportunity to... The military cares about education, too. Uh, So I saw the military as an opportunity to, to... kickstart my education and to, and it's funny because as soon as, as soon as I finished the first degree, I was looking at, okay, what's next? You know, what's, can I, can I get my master's degree now? Um, wait a minute, the Air Force will pay for my PhD. What? And I can go to Air Command and Staff College and I can go to National War College. I'm obviously, I'm a student at heart. Definitely a student at heart. I think it's in my blood. So it started with education. And then I'll tell you that within the first few years, and I was only gonna spend four years, that was it. I was gonna do my four years and I was gonna be gone. And after that first few years, I learned that I I was a student of leadership and I loved to lead and I couldn't get enough. I absolutely couldn't get enough. So every time the Air Force offered me a new opportunity, hey, how about going here and doing this? And how about going there and doing that? I, I just couldn't get enough. So um, if the Air Force would have let me, I'd probably still be there today <laughs> leading something. Um, but I, I love the fact that I get to help and lead within the community sure. as well.
1: Sure. What advice would you give a young person?
2: Uh, i would I would say, um, you know, follow, follow that uh, follow that passion um, when it comes to a potential career of service. Uh, and I would also say that if you can think of a career field, it exists in the military. Any career field you could possibly think of, it exists in the in the military. And you can get fantastic training. you can get fantastic education. I used to tell my young troops, if you get out of our military without a degree of some sort, I am going to find you. And it's not going to be a pretty conversation. (laughs) Um, It's free. Go get your degree. um, You know, learn a skill. And then whenever you're ready, you can step into your community and you can give to your community with whatever that skill is that you've learned. Um, But the military has so much to give to youngsters. And um, we need more who are willing to serve.
0: It does. It really does. You know, I actually got a great education through the military. I did not know what I wanted to be until I went into the military and uh, just happened to fall into public affairs. The uh, uh, I was in the National Guard first, uh, and the PAO actually gave me a tour around the facility. And it really was the second person I talked to mm-hmm. in the military. Um, and uh, it was... Uh, an eye opener and and a love affair at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, got my you know my education in journalism and they wanted to make me a broadcaster, uh, but I said nope. Sorry, I'm in the guard. I got to go back to Peoria, Illinois. You can't send me overseas. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but and and yet here I am. I'm a broadcaster. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was. Um, it was uh, quite an education, and, and like you, it was, oh, wow, I'm, I can go to this class, I can be, become an advanced journalist, I can go to mm-hmm. University of Oklahoma and take mass communications and get my degree there, and it was, yeah, it was uh, uh, an experience I don't think you would get working in corporate America any anywhere. Uh, very very few opportunities exist out there like the military has as far as education, Um But you retired from the Air Force, uh, and so you got a lot of great benefits from that. I'm assuming TRICARE. Yes. uh, And yet you also... Uh, look to the VA for some of your health care. I do. Tell me, why Why do I you do. do that? If you've got TRICARE, why do you go to the VA?
2: Well, I tell you what, one of the things that um, I really enjoyed about my time in the military was this feeling of family. I told you how important my family was from very early in my life. And I felt like when I joined the, the Air Force, I, I had this even bigger family, like, and wherever you go. So my, my family at home in Buffalo would always say, how do you do that? How do you transition every few years and go to a new place and find a new house and find a new school? I mean, how do you do that? And for me, it was like, well, because I have a family, no matter where I go there, who are welcoming you and helping you find all those things. So the VA is no different. The VA is that family. So every time I walk through that front door, you know, I never have enough time. But I always want to just walk around and talk to people and say, tell me your story. Where were you? Where'd you serve? How'd you serve? What, you know, and because there are so many um, family members inside the VA, uh, people who we served with and maybe people who served in similar places to where we served, but maybe 30 years before we were there, you know? So that's um, on top of, let me just say, on top of fantastic, very thorough care I've never had such thorough care um, as I've had at the VA. I will tell you that Um, my my primary care provider has asked me some questions that nobody has ever asked me ever. Which I was, you know, I had to sit back and say, "Wow!" I'm I'm just incredibly impressed by that. So extremely thorough, extremely caring, and that family piece that you just can't replace. You have a starting point. In any waiting room, <laughs> to talk to anybody, you have always you have a starting point. Hey, where did you serve? When did you serve? You know, and and finding we always are we're always looking for connections as veterans, and that's one of the things that that we do. You know, when we when we step into the VA, we're always looking for what's our what's our what's my connection with you. I bet I have one. <laughs> And maybe it's, you know, that six degrees of separation, right? Yes. That Kevin Bacon thing. It's somewhere. It, um, is, it is. So that, that's why. That's why I step into the VA and I absolutely love it. Uh, and I got to tell you, recently walked in there and was, was feeling really wimpy for having to get my flu shot and my COVID shot on the same day. I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I'm doing this. And I walked in and there were a bunch of 80-year-olds sitting in the waiting room all getting ready to do the same thing. I was like, okay, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> I can I can do this. <laughs> this is no big deal. I can do this.
0: Absolutely. So uh, we actually have. Uh, I think it's unique to the VA uh, that there's a lot of care that uh, is. Female-centric, women's health care. Very big uh, program with the VA. Uh, Tell us a little bit about your experience with the women's clinic.
2: Yeah, I tell you, I'm so glad you mentioned that because that's a key part of um, the services at the VA that I just love. Um, The fact that you're not treated like everybody else, you know, it's not, hey, throw on this uniform. We don't care if it does. We don't care if it fits, you know, just wear this uniform. Um, So when you it's not like that. When you walk into the, the woman's clinic, it's, you know, specific female-centered care. What are the things that, that you're dealing with as a female that are, that are different, and, and how can we help you? And that specific focus is really impressive, that we've, we've done the research, and we know what those differences are. And when I say we, I mean the VA. We've done the research. We know what the differences are, and we're going to focus there. Because we know that's where you need help, and we know that's how we can best address your needs and, and your requirements in your health care and um, best help you for the future. Because, you know, preventative care is incredibly important. And that's, that's one of the things that the Women's Center is focused on is, is prevention.
0: Absolutely. Well, Cassie, that's so true. We really appreciate uh, all the wonderful comments that you have about the VA. And thank you very much for coming in today, sharing your story. And thank you very much for your, not only your military service, but the continued service you provide as President of Sochi and all the great programs that you are uh, running there.
2: My pleasure. It was fantastic talking with you both today. It's been an honor. Thank you very much. <laughs> it, it
0: truly has been an honor. Thank you again very much for, for all you've done. My pleasure. And that's going to wrap up this session of My VA Dayton. Thank you for listening. We want to hear from you, love to hear your story. So if you are a vet or you know of a vet uh, with an interesting story to share, email us at Dayton at va. Dot .gov So until next time, I'm Scott Lease. I'm Greg Tucker. This is my VA Dayton.